when someone uh, we know uh, has someone um, close to them die, maybe a child or a spouse or a parent or a friend, there's one question that's often asked. And the question that's often asked, and particularly sometimes they ask us because they know uh, that we're Christians uh, or have a faith, and they say, where are they now? Where is their loved one now? And it might seem a simple question, but it's actually a bit of a potential minefield. Because we know what they want us to say. They want us to say, I'm sure they're in a good place, a nice place, uh, with loved ones. But what if they didn't know Jesus? What if they'd spent their lifetime avoiding and resisting God? What are we going to say to them then? And even actually for those people we know are Christians... Uh, actually, this is also uh, a slightly loaded question. Do people go straight to heaven, or is there some intermediate state? Uh, is it purgatory, as the Catholics teach? And if we go to heaven, do we get a resurrected body straight away or later? And what will that body be like? Is it a physical body, or is it some kind of other kind of body? What will it be like? And will we recognize loved ones? And if we do get a physical body and we get it straight away, then that means that heaven is a physical place, in which case, where is heaven? And so you can get all kinds of tricky questions. What happens if we've been married twice uh, and we meet both spouses up there? That could be very awkward. Um, For some people, they want to know everything black and white. They want answers to all these questions. Uh, And other people are sort of the Kiwi attitude, well, she'll be right, we're not sure, not too worried. And a lot of these questions is not actually clarity on. There's hints about the life to come, but it's not as clear as we would like. There's disagreement among some of the experts on how to interpret some of the passages. So if you're looking for some nice, clear, simple answers today, you're not going to get them. Uh, but I do want to talk about three things uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that are absolutely certain, very clear, that you can uh, bet the house on. Um, And I want to look at these three certainties and the implications of each of these certainties. So I want to read uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the series uh, we've been doing, Finding Hope uh, When Life Sucks, and this is part four. Uh, Carrying on from last week, uh, from the previous chapter. So chapter five, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, That is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. We will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on a new body so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. So, we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we're fully confident, and we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So, whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good and evil we've done in this earthly body. 
because we understand our fearful responsibility or solemn response, um, uh, fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. And then going down to the end of the chapter, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the suffering, uh, our offering for our sin, so we could be made right with God through Christ. Daniel Defoe uh, is the author of um, Robertson Crusoe. He's also the author of a famous statement uh, that says there's only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Uh, I thought I'd investigate this claim this week, so I wasted half an hour of sermon prep discovering that there's 10 countries in the world where you do not pay taxes. Do you want to know where they are? <laughs> the closest is Vanuatu. Vanuatu. They speak English mainly, and nice warm climate. Uh, you do have to pay $260,000 uh, to immigrate there. But once you're there, no taxes. So there we are. Don't all rush at once. Um, took me a while to find that out. There we are. There's 10 other countries, but Vanuatu sounds good. Um, Anyway, um, aside from that, um, so I want to suggest that um, that's not entirely true, um, Daniel Defoe's statement. I do want to talk about, though, three things that are absolutely certain. And the first is that you are aging. That you are aging. Now, you might think that maybe it takes to about 20, uh, about 50 before you start going downhill. All right? I've got some bad news for you. Actually, at 20, at 20, your brain starts deteriorating. By 40, you're losing 10,000 neurons a day. All right? So turn to the person next to you and says, that explains a lot. <laughs> you're losing 10,000 neurons a day. Okay? Uh, your lungs start deteriorating by 20. By 70, they're half the capacity they were at 30. At 25, your skin has reached its peak, which is most of you, by the looks of it, <laughs> and is deteriorating. That's why they sell you all those creams. All right. At 30, men start losing their hair. At 35, most men and women have gray hairs. Now, some of you are putting a good effort to disguising that fact. <laughs> However, most of you at 35 will have some gray hairs. I know some of you are in denial. Uh, at 30, your muscles start to go downhill. At 35, your bones start to age. At 80, you'll be 2 inches, 50 millimeters shorter than you were at your height. That much. 50 mil, shorter. All right. Uh, at 40, your eyes start aging and your heart starts aging at 40 as well. Your arteries start blocking up. At 40, your teeth start going as well. At 50, your kidneys start going downhill, uh, which means you can't turn off urine production at night, which we know what that means. You have lots of trips to the loo. At 75, you've got half the capacity that you had at 30. Uh, your prostate goes downhill at 50 as well. Um, at 55, your gut starts aging and um, you're losing good bacteria. Interestingly, your DNA at 55 starts, DNA is incredibly good at repairing itself, but at 55 it starts losing that ability, and so um, you're far more prone to sicknesses because, cancers and stuff, because you can't fight them off. At 55, your hearing starts uh, going down by 60, half of the population will have hearing loss. So it's very depressing, isn't it? Uh, at 65, your bladder starts aging, and uh, by 70, it'll have half the capacity it had at 30. Do you know the liver is the only organ that's not deteriorating? 
You can take a liver from a healthy 70-year-old and put it in a 20-year-old, and it'll be fine. Okay? So the bad news is uh, that basically, if you're over 20, you're on the downhill slide. You've started to decay. Very sorry to tell you that. So some of you, many of you can identify when Paul says, you know, about this moaning and groaning in the bodies. I mean, that's how some of you feel when you get up in the morning. You know, um, he says, we live in these earthy bodies, we groan and sigh. Who groaned and sighed as they got up this morning? Paul, I saw that nod. <laughs> All right. So we can identify with Paul when he says this. We grow weary in our present bodies. And the simple fact of the fact that we are aging explains a lot of the sort of life sucks type moments uh, in our lives, that there is this decay. Uh, and we should not be surprised about that. Somehow we think, oh, well, it'll be somebody else. I won't really get old. I feel young still. We feel young, but our bodies are aging. Somehow sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking, nah, it won't happen to me. No, nah, it won't happen to me. Suffering and decay are inevitable as taxes and death. It's the reality of this world we live in, that it is not only our bodies that are decaying, but it talks about creation itself groaning. And our response to this often is that we worry, we get anxious, we put a huge amount of efforts in trying to delay this process of aging. We worry about this fact. The second inevitability that you can absolutely bet the house on is that one day you will die. Um, even those that got raised up uh, and resurrected in the Bible uh, died again. Um, I think there's one Old Testament character, wasn't it Methuselah or someone managed to, eh? Enoch, oh, yeah, he managed to escape it, but let's just leave that exception aside. Um, you know, Paul says, when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, when we die and leave this earthly body, the reality is that we'll all face death as 100% certainty. And the fear of death is reasonably universal. Ernest Becker wrote a book, The Denial of Death. He said that the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It's a fear strong enough to compel us to force kale down our throats, run um, sweatily on a treadmill at 7 a.m. on Monday morning, and show our genitals to a stranger with cold hands and a white coat if we feel something's a little bit off. <laughs> All right? We do stuff because we're scared of death. Because we could also do the opposite behavior, and, and that is that uh, in response to uh, the fear of dying, we can drink and smoke more um, to try and blot out this idea. Studies have shown that there are seven uh, sort of key things around death that we particularly fear. We fear that we'll no longer have any experiences. We fear uh, what will happen to us after death. We fear what will happen to our body. Uh, we fear about who will look after our dependents. We fear the grief that our death will cause to relatives. We fear that our plans and projects and schemes will come to an end. And we fear the process of dying itself. There's a third certainty, though, that Paul talks about in this passage, and that is the fear, uh, sorry, the certainty of judgment. It says in Hebrews that man is appointed to die once and then to be judged. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We receive whatever we deserve for the good and evil we've done in this earthly body. I was talking about this last week at Flock, 
I think there's a huge denial. We simply do not teach on judgment anymore. It's sort of not PC. God is surely tolerant and uh, we like the idea of a loving God who loves us no matter what. And, uh, but Jesus talked about judgment a huge amount. There's his parables and his teaching. I wonder sometimes whether, you know, we selectively teach and preach the Bible. We selectively look at the bits that we like. Of course, we like the idea of God loving us. But the New Testament talks a lot about judgment, that one day, as created beings, we will have to stand before an infinite God and give an account of our lives. All we've done will be revealed on screen, as it were. Nothing will be hidden. Our actions and our motives and our thoughts will all be made public. Jesus Christ returns on earth. Every person in history, every person in history will stand before God. And I think our reaction to this is simply one of denial. If we're not a follower of Jesus, we say, I'm not accountable to anyone. As long as I don't hurt anyone and as long as I don't break the law, I don't have to give an account for my actions. I, I can do what I want. What I do in private is my business. That's not what the Bible teaches. And I think as followers of Jesus, we're in denial on this too, because we simply don't talk and teach on the subject. It doesn't sit well with our concept of a holy, loving God. We struggle with this concept. For Paul, in the face of these three certainties of aging, of death, and of judgment, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus just stands central. Everything is changed by Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection. He says, look, in spite of this decaying body, in spite of the fact that we've grown and are weary and we want to be free from this body and all the other hardships, he says, I am totally confident. He's not phased by all the stuff that's happening. He's not asking God why and this is terrible. He says he is confident. He's fully confident. He lives in this confidence. Why? Because he knows that actually this shell we live in is temporary. And because of Jesus Christ, our fear of death is altered. Paul says, actually, he said, it's not that I really want to leave this life, but he said, if I do, actually I'll be in the presence of God. And you know how we struggle. We, we, sometimes we feel God, sometimes we feel close to God, other times he feels a long way away. Sometimes, you know, God is like that, but a lot of the time we think, oh, just there's a distance there. We're not, we're not totally, as it were, right as if God is right there. And Paul says, I long for that. I long to be truly with God. Death, he says, will bring me into the presence of God. Essentially, he talks about um, this, this uh, fearful responsibility or uh, other translations say the solemn fear uh, that death and, and judgment bring the solemn fear on him and that is that he wants to please God he wants to lead a life that's pleasing to God sometimes I wonder whether we've lost that sense of, of that the fear of God it's not a fear as in a cringing sort of fear but that sense of the awesomeness of God the the majesty of God, the greatness of God. And he says that the solemn fear of the fact that he's dying and there'll be judgment, he says, my aim is to please God. 
My aim is to please Him. I want to show God that I truly believe in Him. It's not just some kind of mental ascent. You see, what it means is our life counts now. How we act in this life counts. Genuine faith will always lead uh, us to eternity with God. You know, it will lead us to a new body that will not decay. But faith is shown by what we do. Faith is shown by what we do. Actions show the reality of our faith. Your life here on this earth shows the reality of your faith. But I think the biggest implication comes uh, with the idea of judgment. Do we truly believe that God will judge us? That we'll stand before God and be judged? doesn't mean our actions will save us, but they will show the reality of our faith. And it seems that, that as Paul talks about this judgment, he, he talks about this passion to please God and to share his faith, to be this ambassador of reconciliation. He says we work hard, we, we plead with others to come to Christ. He's passionate about this ministry of reconciliation. But if we deny the reality of judgment, then why should we worry about sharing our faith with anyone? Does it matter? Why, why bother with evangelism if there's no eternal consequences? Why bother if everyone just ends up in a nice, happy state when they die? Why bother if continually rejecting God doesn't really matter? I mean, God won't mind, surely. Surely God's loving and tolerant and nice. It seems that, that His ministry uh, and His passion for that ministry overtook uh, any sense of uh, the struggle and the suffering that he was facing. As we've seen through Second uh, Corinthians, Paul faced incredible suffering and hardship, uh, but it all faded uh, when he understood his purpose in this life was that of reconciliation. If judgment is a reality that has eternal consequences, what could be a greater motivation? If family and friends face an eternity without God, if they've rejected God's offer. And God says, I accept what you want. Now, I might think that judgment's not fair. And I might think, what about those people that haven't been told? But I have to trust the judgment and the fairness of God. See, if God is not a God of justice, is God truly worthy to be followed? Because we all understand that there are terrible injustices in this world, and they don't find justice here. We know something's wrong with this world. We know that evil should have a consequence. Judgment is part of the justice of God. And yes, for those who've never heard about Christ, we have to trust God's fairness. See, there's a lot of things we're not certain about when it comes to life after death, intermediate state and uh, the details of heaven and, and new resurrection bodies and uh, when Jesus Christ will return. I mean, we argue about these things. Uh, and the Bible's not clear on a lot of those things, but there are three things the Bible is crystal clear on. The reality of aging. The creation itself is groaning, that death is inescapable, 
and that death will lead us to judgment. These three things are crystal clear. And the judgment is on our actions. It's not on whether we mentally assent to a whole set of creeds. Judgment is based on our actions. We will be judged on what we've done. Now, how we face these realities is dependent on what we've done with Jesus. Paul says, in the face of these three realities that life chucks at us, these three certainties, no matter what happens, he said, I can be confident because of Jesus' death and resurrection. There's a new body waiting for me, and I'll be with God in a, in a new present reality. And he says, because of these three certainties of aging and death and judgment, he says, he lives with the solemn fear, this holy fear what he does matters. What he does has eternal consequences. Every action counts now. Your service, your faithfulness, your kindness, your sacrifice is seen and matters. God sees it all. Paul says he strives to please God, not out of a, a scared fear, but because out of his sense of the greatness of God and because of what God has done, he strives to please God. And he says the certainty of judgment the certainty that one day every person on earth will stand to give an account for their lives spurs them to tell others about Jesus. Are you living with a confidence? Or are you anxious about getting older? About what's going to happen in the future? Or are you living with that confidence? A confidence despite what is happening around you? And are you living in a holy fear, desiring to please God, knowing that when you die, you'll come face to face with God? And are you living with a passion to tell others about Jesus Christ, to plead with others, to understand the eternal consequences of their actions. Three truths, three absolutely certain truths. How are they impacting your life? Are you living based on these three realities? Let's stand for our prayer. I'll get the team to come to the front. Well, there are some here who are just struggling with the reality of getting older and uh, struggling with pain and disability and things they can't do anymore. Grappling with their bodies aging. God, I pray you'd place within them 
just a fresh confidence in the future that is to come for them. That this body is temporary and there's a new body that awaits. God, I pray for that confidence in the face of pain and struggle. I pray for a fresh confidence in you. There are some here who are fearful of dying. Have not faced that reality. And deep down there's all kinds of fears about that. God, I thank you for the promise that you've given that uh, your Holy Spirit is a is a deposit, as it were, of our future. We can trust, Lord God, that you have defeated death on the cross. God, we thank you for that. Lord, may our lives be ones lived pleasing to you, working out our faith by what we do. God, I pray that we might grasp the reality that you so clearly teach that one day we'll be judged by you. God, I pray that will give us a passion, Lord God, to talk about you, to pray for others, to be, Lord God, ambassadors for you, to bring life, Lord God, into this darkness, to bring hope, Lord God, into this darkness. And for those, Lord God, who we love and who are around us, give us a holy boldness, a wisdom, Lord God, on how to share you. In Jesus' name.